Hey folks, before we jump into the episode today, I just wanted to let you know about something that you might be interested in if you are considering making some kind of a career change. I have recently launched a self-paced online audio course called Meaningful Career Change, which is all designed to kickstart your mindful and meaningful career change journey with focus and intention. So if you're looking to avoid the overwhelm and get started on the right foot with some logical steps, practical exercises and insightful tips that draw on real life career change, coaching success stories from me, a seasoned career coach, straight to your headphones, then head on over to leadingbeings.com and follow the links to events and courses and you'll find the Meaningful Career Change course under the heading. All right, into the episode. Hi, I'm Kate McCready and welcome to Leading Beings, a podcast all about how you can lead a conscious and fulfilling work life that expresses your unique potential and makes an impact. We're here to help you be your best human in work, leadership and life. And through the different episodes of the podcast, we talk to amazing humans who are doing just that and share their journeys and their stories, as well as reflecting on some of the interesting themes and topics that come up through those different conversations. If you'd like to connect with us at Leading Beings, please come and connect on Instagram or Facebook at Leading Beings. We'd really love to have you as part of the Leading Beings family. You can also come and find us at leadingbeings.com and come and check out some of the other offerings that we have available, such as meditation courses, personal and professional coaching and learning experiences. Uh, So for the next few months, I'm actually going to be traveling around Europe. uh, So there will be the opportunity uh, for people who are in Spain and Portugal to potentially come and learn meditation with me. Uh, It's not something that we're putting up on the website but if you are interested and would like to talk about the possibility of course if you are in Spain or Portugal then do reach out to us uh, at Leading Beings and we can have a chat about that. So my guest today is Nico Plowman. With over 20 years experience in both the corporate and startup sectors, Nico has very much turned his attention towards the world of meditation and holistic personal development. Nico is co-owner of Insight Timer, the world's largest network of meditators, teachers and groups alongside his brother Christopher. He is the co-founder of Edmund and Amelia, a retreat and uh, a retreat company for adventurers and inner explorers and is also a meditation teacher in the Vedic tradition like myself with a specific interest in helping business owners and senior executives apply a conscious perspective to their commercial interests. So join Nico and I today as we discuss themes of doing a 180 in your life, exploring different spiritual and personal development modalities, releasing stress and supporting our nervous system to be the best person we can be, motivating people with our story, living in alignment with who we really want to be and daily meditation for progressive personal change. Hi Nico, it's so great to be with you here in the studio. Um, Really excited that we finally made this happen because we've been, I feel like we've been trying for months to to be in the one spot at the one time and we're finally here. So it's probably longer. Yep, it's yep. great. So it's good to finally be here. It is great. Thank you, Kate. Um, 
So insight timer. That's what you is your your big thing right now, correct? Um, yeah, I think it feels like a big thing. Yeah. Um, interestingly, it's it, it 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 came about because of probably the main thing, which is my teaching of meditation. And then three years ago, when my brother Christopher and I bought Insight Timer, um, I don't think we could have foreseen that it would have become the platform that it has. Um, and it, yeah, it bigs a good word. We're over six million users now, which from a little start of a hundred thousand three years ago, it's something that. Um, is bigger and growing and it's a wonderful thing to be part of. Um, we, from the outset, wanted to bring meditation to a broader audience. Not all meditation is accessible to all types of people and that's for a whole lot of reasons, but we did think that there was an opportunity to do something consciously driven but not, 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 being, you know, not ignoring the idea that those things have a commercial needs and otherwise and we set about building that sort of three years ago and it's been um it's been an amazing journey and it continues to grow Mm. um and really it's a word of mouth organically growing platform with now three thousand teachers and six thousand groups of meditators and a whole bunch of cool stuff yeah amazing yes but that's not all you do you are a vedic meditation teacher for those who who don't know what that is till Tell us a little bit about it. Vedic meditation is a twice daily 20-minute practice. It's a mantra-based practice um, and it is a traditional form of meditation that comes from the Veda. It's passed down from teacher to teacher. It's a householder technique. Um, what does that mean? There are householder techniques, there are monastic techniques and a householder technique enables us to get it done anywhere, anytime and it's practical. Um, Having explored different types of meditation myself over the previous 10 years before I became a teacher, which is now over five years ago, um, I did explore other things and just came to Vedic meditation probably firstly because of the practicality and I could get it done as someone who was busy and running a company and traveling a lot. And then that, that, that consistency of practice led to other things and I made the decision to teach it probably about 18 months after having learnt it, um, and I went on that journey over 12 months' time to become a teacher and that was five years ago. So I've been teaching quite continuously since in lots of different places, having lived both in, here in Sydney and in Paris and other things. So I teach, um, I've been teaching all over the world and it's the, it's the first thing that comes to mind when I put my attention to something to get mm. things done, which is how can I teach more people to meditate. Um, and, of course, as we've said, sort of the secondary part to that has been Insight Timer. Um, and I also have a retreats company called Edmund and Amelia, which is purpose-driven retreats, sort of positioned at the high end for places that we can take people like India and Yeah, yeah. And that's just places. a new thing, isn't it? That's a new thing. That's, I'm really excited about this. Like when I saw that pop thing. up on Instagram, I was like, ooh, this yeah, is really awesome. Yeah, that's a new thing. It's called Edmund and Amelia, which is Sir Edmund Hillary, um, who first person to obviously climb Mount Everest. Yeah. And um, Amelia Earhart, who did great things in her aeroplane. Yes. So we felt that those two people, um, I think they showed an element of fearlessness um, out of our comfort zone, all those things that come from or are needed if we want to turn around and push push the boundaries in life. And we felt that those two people were good uh, examples of that. So that's fresh, it's new, um, and we'll be doing some exciting things with that in 2019. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what happens with that. I'm I'm sure sure. I'll head along on a retreat at some point. Um, 
So, so that's a great little summary of where you're at right yes. now. I, I want to go back to that point where you said, you know, you were you were working and you like were running a business and you found the meditation. So mm. I've been having a, like a number of conversations at the moment with people around kind of entrepreneurs and busy people running businesses and how kind of there's there's this kind of growth. I don't not it's not just a growth mentality. It's like a a striving for growth against kind of all odds and all these people burning out in the startup world and the entrepreneurial world. And how did that, is that your journey? Is that not your journey? How did, what did it look like for you back then and what kind of pushed you into meditation or pulled you into meditation? Yes. Um, good question. So if we go back 20 years now, I'm, I'm 46. So go back 20 years and I had, I was, a year into me, I was in Hong Kong. I'd gone and got, I'd been offered a job working for ESPN. So my first, before that I was doing some things with the Sydney Olympics and then I went to Hong Kong, worked, worked for ESPN, which is a big sports network. So that was great fun in Hong Kong. Head office, head office was in New York. It couldn't get any more exciting for a 26-year-old. Mm. Did that. Um, dot com came along, stepped into that. That was probably where I moved from the corporate life to the more startup and venture capital side of things, but that was during the dot-com stage. That was all fun and games, but I'm not sure most of us knew what we were talking about. (laughs) So that ended in tears, but that was the start of my um, desire to do my own thing. And um, I ended up back in Australia around about the age of 30, and I actually invested in a small company that was doing a whole lot of things in mobile. Um, and we were doing we were doing sports things. We were doing horse racing on phones. We were doing all sorts of stuff. We were very early stage, and I essentially took that company over and ran that for seven years and built that. But it was in an industry. Um, what I did is I moved a technology company into an industry which I ultimately didn't really enjoy being in, which was horse racing and sports and things like that. So I found myself in an industry that I somewhat frown still about, um, and it wasn't at all satisfying when I look back on it. But we were successful in many ways. We raised a lot of money. Um, we did some really interesting deals, and but it was highly, highly stressful, and enormous amount of trouble. Um, I was married when I was thirty-two. Children, two girls, um, who are now thirteen and nearly twelve. So there was all that happening. Um, my wife at the time, Heidi, had built a very successful fashion label, so it was very, very busy. We had two companies, young kids, tons of trouble, um, and so. Alongside that, I was exploring things and I would, I'm always open-minded, always have been, and so I would I would look for something to relieve stress. Not that I knew, um, I don't think I consciously decided that's what I needed to do, but if someone suggested to me, go and learn meditation with this person, I'd just go and do it. If someone said, go and do Bikram yoga, I would go and do it, not just once I'd end up doing the 60-day challenge of Bikram <laughs> yoga. Um, if someone said go and silent treat, I'd go and do Vipassana for 12. But I mean, yeah. I would, if I did it, I'd do it all to in. the to all in. And that was probably where I was at, which was quite extreme. Mm. Um, I was outwardly, outwardly, I would train quite a bit and be healthy, but then I'd also party quite a lot as well. So I had all of that going on. And when you're in your 30s and everything's looking good, you can get away with it. Mm. But there were just things that were showing up in my body that were just showing that the stress wasn't really, that I wasn't handling that stress. Um, and I think the pain was just getting was getting bad enough. I would go to retreats, like there's a place in Australia called Wingana. I'd have all these little ways to retreat, go away, feel fantastic. But when I came back to my busy, very busy, very stressful life, 
um, that I couldn't maintain those things and inevitably a month in, two months later, I'd be back to where I started. So when I finally came to learn Vedic meditation, I'd run a lot of experiments, I'd done a lot of research and I didn't know that it was time to pretty much literally go 180. Mm. And from the day that I learned to meditate, I was doing it twice a day, a week, a month. I was straight into it and things started to move very quickly. And partway, it wouldn't have been, let's say a year later, I was in India having decided to go on a retreat because that's what I do. I'd immediately head off in the on the next shiny thing that I thought would be good <laughs> for me. And by that stage, I decided that I didn't want to be in the industry I was in. Um, I wanted to teach. There was a whole lot of things. And so I went, I mean, I really moved, like I really moved quickly into adopting a different lifestyle. And... Um, haven't really looked back since Mm. and it didn't come really couldn't have come a day too soon I think yeah um there were all there was there were things that were just showing up in my body there was inflammation and things like that which I think would have meant I would have got would have got sick when I look back on it now um so you asked the question I mean I you know I was a I was living a very fast, very unhealthy lifestyle. I've been open with many people about drinking, drugs, the whole type of things. And then so to move the other way as quickly as I did, I mean, I was overdue. Yeah. Overdue. Yeah. Um, And I think that also means that now when I teach meditation, I find myself having conversations, very broad conversations with people, and there's nothing that's not kind of on the table in terms of whatever people might be doing, self-medicating. Otherwise, I can pretty much sit there and say, yep, I've been there, done that. Yeah. And it's about that that relates to a certain busy type of person. Yeah. Um, and having lived in various places and travel where I have, I think that just seems to be um, where I fit, where I fit. And that's, I think that's the thing about teaching is you would know um, there needs to be different types of people to relate to different types of um, different teachers for different types. Um, and we don't all... Um, Relate to everybody. Yeah. 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 If, what, have, um, if that answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And what Nico was referring to there is I've also just graduated myself as a teacher in the Vedic traditions. Thank Three you. days ago. <laughs> Three days ago. So Huge we're up exciting. In very, very exciting. So, um, so yes, you can go and see Nico up in Sydney and you can come and see me down Kate in Melbourne. Melbourne, exactly. <laughs> um, so this 180... I can imagine when you when you do a 180 like that, it you know it's it's a 180 in probably a lot of aspects in your life. How how did that impact, say, people around you? How did it impact, say, your your relationships with your friends, your family? When when you do such a big change like that, what did that look like? I think when for me, if I look back on it, I would go and. Um, start something new and because I wasn't consistent with it I think people might sit and say oh yes here's Nico with his new shiny toy and so when this shift happened I think for a while people actually thought yeah here's another shiny toy this won't last and then maybe it starts to last and that change then does start to impact um, a whole range of things family friends and otherwise Um, and so things do change. If you used to go out and have a drink and then you don't drink at all 
then that's going to change a whole range of engagements around where you go, who you go, and how you actually choose to spend your time. So there's in, an inevitable period in there, which is everyone getting used to it. And so you, ne- you end up making very conscious decisions about certain experiences um, that, um, which may have otherwise, you may have otherwise not really trusted yourself in. And I'm open with people about certain social situations, which is when I had said, right, okay, alcohol's not for me anymore, I would I spent probably 12 months not going near situations where it may be that I would have a drink. Um, it's interesting, I had a conversation with someone on Bondi today who I was saying, look, he said, what do I do about that? I said, you don't go for a certain period of time and then your friends get used to that and then you can go back into those environments having reshaped their expectations and then everything's fine. So often enough when we do make those changes, people will feel that maybe they need to change as well and that can be quite challenging. So I did have that challenge. It was interesting. It was a time in my life where my father um, died. Uh, He died, um, it would be, I'm trying to think whether it was, I think he died six months after I graduated and he died, he was an alcoholic, and he essentially died from complications related to alcohol. It was a really beautiful time, um, but I had a very good example in front of me about what happens if you were to continue to live in a certain way. And I was not that extreme, but at the same time, I just knew that it didn't end well if you know we didn't turn around and change our ways. So... That was interesting for me. It was like, okay, it's not just that I want to move a different way. I've also got my father who's um, sort of shown me how not to do it. Mm. <laughs> and I thank him for that. Um, so that was that, that. was a really interesting time. So it was that and my experience with dad that I think meant that I was like, right, no more. Um, and so back to your point or your question, the change does come, we decide to embrace that and then we have to sort of move through that and progressive change is hard. Rapid change can be quite challenging to a lot of people and so the artfulness of that is sort of trying to make it progressive. The thing is once you start that change, it becomes quite difficult to then turn around and stop changing because no matter where you move, you will always, you can always move further, you can always keep going out of your comfort zone, peeling away another layer of the, you know, whatever it might be. And so your question was how did things change then? Things haven't stopped changing and now we're five years later. And so many things have changed um, for me, which, um, you know, does lead to a lot of, yeah, like a lot of challenges, a lot of challenges. But when you choose to step into that space, you can't really turn around day and just say, oh, that was enough um, because we we can't once you start that process it's very hard just to sort of put the brakes on Mm. yes um so everything changes Mm. yeah what's been the most positive part of the change (laughs) what a great question so if i was if i'm able to um separate out what has been some of the some of the things, you know, when you go through big change, um, there's emotion, there's all lots, there's so many things that come with that. Um, and, you know, we also have to remind ourselves to appreciate all the things that we, you know, all the good things that do come with that. Um, and it's a really great question. But 
I have been fortunate to teach hundreds and hundreds of people to meditate all over the world. With that has come experiences in India and, you know, but the Sacred Kerr in Paris and all these amazing experiences that, that, that I've been so fortunate to share. Um, I have, um, you know, if we come back to the things that we can appreciate and, and um, feel positive about for ourselves, it comes down to health, feeling stronger, feeling more positive, having more energy, seeing that, you, that, 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 that there is things about your creativity that actually go into action. And in my instance, that's been things like insight, mm. timer, and endowment and media. So that feels good. Um, as opposed to an industry that I was in before, which I didn't find was making much of a contribution at all. Now, um, I love what it is that Chris and I do together to help all sorts of people with all range of issues. And we get that feedback con- consistently. Um, and then you hope that as a father and otherwise that those sorts of changes obviously brings around positive influences on your children um they're younger so that so you have to you have to play a bit of a longer game but you have to trust that the way that you eat the way that you the way that you live the fact that you don't drink the fact that your children really never you know since they were young they haven't seen you that they see you adopt a way which is healthier um, if you are becoming more conscious about the environment then all the conversations with my daughters are around plastic i mean that's the other thing, you know, they are getting very mindful of plastic and it's through the schools and so on. They're the conversations I have with them um, because when you are moving that way, that's the way that you start to live and so hopefully your children start to experience that. So that's a positive. Um, and when we look at where the world is at, if you could ask the question each day, do I feel that, that whatever it was, whether it was an interaction with someone on the street or a smile here or a funny conversation with someone there, that you made a more positive impact on a daily basis than otherwise? I think that's, a, that's, a, that's the most simple question we can ask because that's, that's what the need of the time is. It's just simply that we have to be giving a lot more than we're taking and if we're stressed, we can't do that. Mm, yep. And I can safely say that um, despite the changes, despite the challenges, that I feel that my net contribution is, is, is a positive one. Um, um, and I wouldn't have always said that before because if you're tired and moody and stressed and running around and doing those types of things, then you're not going to be able to make that sort of a contribution. Mm. And this comes back to the analogies around meditation and you know, the idea that, you know, we're in our conscious cinema and if we're in the front row of that cinema, then our nervous system's overwhelmed and so we're going to be sitting there just trying to survive that experience and so the people in our lives don't get a very good version of us. They think we're, we're otherwise self-centred and otherwise, but we're just sitting there surviving and not very happy and not sleeping very well. That version isn't going to make a contribution because that version's not, just not elevated enough bring ourselves back in our conscious cinema and start to meditate and do other things that we do, then, of course, you're going to get a broader version of, you know, the bigger version of oneself. And from that place, we are, whether we're meditating, all the things that we do, we're going to be more energetic, more creative, more empathetic, be more compassionate and just want to give service. That's the, that is a fundamental human condition. When someone is happy, they're looking around for things to do. Mm. When they're not, they're looking around for things to basically keep them, sort of keep them alive. Yeah. I love what you said there. You've kind of 
you've almost touched on the almost the reason why I changed this podcast from the Good Work Revolution to right. to the Leading Beings podcast, and and part of that is that like the the Good Work Revolution was always about the kind of contribution you make through your work, and we've we've just talked about, or you've just talked about positive impact, mm. and this idea that through your work you can have a positive impact. But the very idea of kind of making this change was that it's not just about the work that we do; it's about who we are and how we show up. And I think you've really just kind of summed that up in that. The, so many of the changes that that you made were about who you were and the what you did came out of that but it was really that initial change in in becoming a better person and working on yourself that then made those changes to to the work and what you did and how you more kind of actively mm. pursued something in the world kind of how that all came about somewhat yeah. would be what i'd say because oh, okay. i think i would be would it would feel disingenuous to me to say that there wasn't actually maybe um, a sort of parallel yeah. thing going on there yeah. because somewhat you know there's an idea that if we if we want to move the dial and i'm going to try not sound too esoteric about this but <laughs> sound esoteric if you well, want to go for it <laughs> okay we'll try but, but 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 probably what i did when i decided to teach meditation i I essentially, I think I, I wouldn't call it a subconscious decision, but I kind of knew that if I didn't render myself choiceless mm. and lock in to that 12-month program, that I may not have been able to hold the line on what it means to, you know, live a healthy life. Mm. It was part of like, because I was meditating very regularly, I was going away on retreats, I was doing other things, and I kind of like, I thought... The, you know, maybe the only way to shift this is to make such a commitment to something that, you know, if you're doing teacher training, you don't get to go and have lunch or be unhealthy because you've got to live it. You've got to be an expression of that. And so I would feel that it wouldn't be quite for me to agree with that. Mm. I mean, oh, yeah, that was what it was. Mm. I actually kind of was probably thinking I've kind of I'd better lock in here and mm. strap into that seat because I didn't trust myself possibly mm. to get there just of my own accord if that makes yeah, sense and yeah. i was like okay here's a very rigorous process mm. and once i'm committed i'm committed as i say before that was probably the part of me which had all those remnants of you know extreme and otherwise and extreme behavior saying okay well this is a pretty this is a pretty intense way to do this and i was a right teacher training you know mm, yeah and then of course you go on that experience and that journey and the knowledge in india and it's like oh okay and then maybe i think there was a bit of of sort of you know like i kind of did yeah. a bit of backfilling yeah and then you're teaching and then it's like oh wow this feels this you know this feels exciting to do that um and from that place i think some other things have flowed like insight in those things mm. yeah. I don't know if that makes sense but no it does yeah, and yeah. I, I think we're almost talking about the same thing in that it's like it's not just it's not one or the other it's yes. like there's this yes. it, it's it's kind of got to be both you can't be yep. a good person in your work and then not show up as a good human just generally that's true and um, I think that's something which I'm sure a lot of people who choose to teach meditation, all sorts of things, mm. whether you teach meditation or whatever, you put yourself out there. I'm sure there's people who sit there and we can we can see the stories everywhere that people always have those doubts. It's like, well, am I really the sort of person to do that? Because mm. you're really seeing what goes on inside here. And, you know, and, 
But and, we all are thinking that. And I, we're all thinking that, you know, and I sort of sit there and I'm sitting listening going, oh, okay, but, you know, there's also there's the tired version and this version and the jet lag version and the stress version and yep. those types of things and we're all human. There's all that frailty and all those types of things. But um, I think that's important. I think it's important to be open about how we sometimes feel and despite as much meditation as well as we might eat and those types of things, we're all also going to feel the impact of all types. There are so many demands going on. And if we have made a decision or if we believe that just, you know, um, teaching people to meditate or teaching people yoga or being a nutritionist or um, working, you know, working to help others and there is so, such a range of ways that people do that, um, we're all also going to be aware of the broader bigger things going on at the moment in the world and they're huge and of course some people would say that you know well you know is there a you know is there a more intense time in history if we consider the state of the planet and the state of um, society and all those sorts of things it just feels like all this stuff's flaring and so even um, it takes a really highly calibrating person just to sit there and smile through the whole thing um it does. It takes a really huge effort to do that. So, of course, we're going to take a lot of that stuff on and it's going to impact us. It's going to impact us. So we have to do the work. Mm, yeah. The regular meditation practice, whether we choose to eat in a more um, conscious way, whether it's our contribution, we've got to work really hard at it because you don't just get by, I think, by um, faking it till you make it. You just have to really um, be disciplined. Yeah. yeah. And that's not easy either. No. No. If it was easy, we probably wouldn't we'll be doing what we do, would we? <laughs> That's right. I think it's true. I think it's um, – and it's about being open-minded, not being dogmatic. And, there's, you know, that's the other thing. Once we come to a certain tradition that we really love and start to teach, that's fine. And there's incredible worldviews about that and all sorts of knowledge that sits there. But it's like saying, okay, but there's also a whole bunch of other ways that I can shift my physiology, understand the psychology of a process. And so – I, I've found it really important to look at a whole bunch of other modalities and I've been very, I've explored an enormous amount, particularly in the last two years. Um, since I was separated and I've really turned around and done, I feel as much as I can to understand what, you know, the whys and hows of that process and how to move through that. And so that's moved out of Vedic meditation into a whole range of things. Um, I sometimes just smile at, how many different people I've sat with, listened yeah. to, had them do extraordinary, you know, crazy things to me. I went to Tony Robbins three months ago. Oh, did you? Yeah, incredible. <laughs> um, because all of these people have an amazing way to deliver something to people, which is about change and shift and those types of things. And we just have to work on different layers of that mm. um, and, not, and, not be, and not put the blinkers on. It would be very easy to do that. Yeah, yeah. really can. So tell us a little bit about some of the things you've been doing. I'm intrigued. Like, it sounds like there's a, a great little concoction of goodies going on there. Well, it's really interesting. I don't know if you've um, heard of the book called Letting Go by a guy called Hawkins, Richard, but, but he has this funny part to the book, and I wish I could almost read it, but he lists over two pages all the stuff that people do. Yeah. And there's this an idea around spiritual materialism, which yeah. is that you, know, you can tick all the boxes. <laughs> And when you read that, that those two pages, um, I, la- I, I just think I was, I was laughing out loud because it felt like I'd done all of them. But um, 
in, you know, the serious side of that is to say, well, we can, we can as meditators of whichever tradition it may be, let's just say that our mind rests, our body releases stress, and there's all these wonderful things that happen. Our individuality experiences universality, and if we do that more regularly, then we're going to start to be a, an expression of a version of us that is, um, that, is you, that is less bound in individuality and is also broader. So that comes with lovely human qualities. Of course, it's mixed into all our normal human qualities. But So there's that, but then it's to say, okay, well, I could continue down that path, but then let me just be open-minded about bringing other things along and whether it's just the simple things which are on the level of the body, massage, acupuncture, yoga, whatever it might be, um, and then moving into things which might be slightly alternate. And I would say that, um, you know, whether we're talking about psychotherapy, whether we're talking about um, different types of healing um, and trusting trusting people who may feel that they're able to operate on different levels and different paradigms. Um, you know, there's things which move into different dimensions and other astral experiences. I mean, you can do that. Um, and so I find myself really open-minded and, in fact, um, somewhat trusting in a lot of those processes, you know. Um, there's ayahuasca, there's all sorts of things. And so it's just about being really broad-minded. And, and, and what, I, what I have have felt about some of those things is that all of those experiences do come back to a simple idea is that when we are able to bring our body into a certain state, whether it's through um, whether it's through massage or otherwise or through meditation, what's really happening, or even if you're at a Tony Robbins Unleash the Power event, <laughs> what is happening there is that your physiology is being brought to a place where it can release stress. And when our body releases that stress, we're able to get clarity and then we can return back to whatever it is we may do, having sort of had that deep physiological shift. And that's kind of what it is. It's like just accepting there are different ways that we can work into our nervous system and remove some of those motions that might be quite deeply, deeply entrenched. And there's a whole lot of ways to do that. The trick, I think, though, is saying I can go away on retreat, I can go away to India, I can go to Tony Robbins, I can go and have all these treatments but I need to come back to some consistency in a practice of some description to make sure that the benefits of that little time away mm. or that little release are then backed up. Yeah. And I think that's why Tony Robbins Standalone is an amazing experience. I absolutely loved it. I can't believe I went. It was the last <laughs> thing I was going to do. And Nick I, is grinning like, like a little kid, by the way. I worked out day four and went, this guy is fantastic. <laughs> which people are really surprised by because I'm probably the last person who would do that, but a subsequent experience was fantastic. His documentary is really good. I'm not your guru. But, in, but, but what that experience was for 12,000 people was um, a, like a real kind of physiological shift and an ability to remove stress, get some clarity, and then return. Now, for people who have regular meditation practices, they would then probably find the benefits of that to be more continuous because they would get back to a regular daily practice if you didn't have something like that you may find yourself six months later going i need to go back and do another one mm. i think people who take ayahuasca and don't have a regular practice then say that was fantastic but six months later thinking i need to go and do that again yeah okay people who go away to beautiful retreats and spend 10 days and jump around and feel fantastic and eat great food three months later they're back to where they started and they think i need to go back 
to that retreat place. I was that person mm. for five years. I'd be like, where am I going to go to reach? And what, what, what I learned quite quickly was that what I needed to do was incorporate a daily practice because mm. that was, as a householder, the only thing was going to mean that I could engage and be dynamic and still be a father and still run a business and do those sorts of things and continuously start to keep removing stress and keep that process going. Mm. So the short, little, sharp, you know, fix, fantastic, but unless we can bring that back and implement it, we may as well, like, it's just one step forward, one step back. You yeah. need to be going two steps forward, one step back. And I th- and, and in my experience, it's hard to do that without, like, you know, without a regular practice. Yeah. I think as well, like, there's, there's the... Re- re- reducing or removing the stress through Correct. whichever practice. But then there's also the learning how to not continually add more stress in in ways that, you know, you I, – I remember, like, my, my teacher saying one time that, um, you know, she was doing all this great meditation and eating healthy and doing all these amazing things and, and then she was watching The Walking Dead all the time. Yes. And she was And she was, like, worked out after a while that every time she watched The Walking Dead she felt – awful because she's laying all this stress of Mm. you know this quite traumatic show at times back into the system and it's like I think it's great for us to also look sometimes at yep what are we doing to to make ourselves kind of get rid of all of that stuff to feel better to but then what are we doing to make sure we're not kind of counteracting it with something else that we're doing on the other side it's true and um I think that's funny actually because um I recall a really dark time when I'd hurt my back very badly and I was living in Paris and I may have sat there binging on some show like that as well. <laughs> so, and it was The Walking Dead. So yeah, that's, we've, that's, been we've been there. But, but, but I think um, it's true that when, you when, you're, when you're moving back on your conscious cinema, you're naturally going to move towards things that, that um, you know, just your senses are going to be, you know, will gravitate to things that are a bit more interesting anyway. Yeah. Okay. But we're still allowed to, you know, we're still allowed to indulge a little bit. Okay. Yeah. And yes, certainly what we consume obviously has an impact on our nervous system and otherwise. Um, I think it's interesting and I probably, just as you were talking, I thought that, um, you know, stress is, you know, stress is such an extraordinary human condition, you know. Um, so as opposed to saying, do I avoid stress? Or I say, well, obviously I don't choose to stress myself out, but if I, but if I find that stress is needed or my body needs to respond in that certain way, as someone, you know, look, I would say that people who are read, you know, meditating regularly and living certain healthy lives, they're going to bounce back faster. Yeah. So the impact on the nervous system will be far less. Certainly the stress reaction happens, something gets done, something, maybe one gets angry, maybe there's a huge, you know, like an, like an emotional response to something. And I think someone who's meditating regularly will probably be very, will be able to check in about how much, just how quickly they've recovered. And so what we'll find is that the, the, that the accumulative impact of stress is less with people who are doing regular things to remove that stress on. And obviously, of course, through living well or obviously... Um, have got a nervous system that's, you know, you know, our brain is going to secrete otherwise, you know, serotonin and all the nice stuff. So, and I know I moved away from that a bit, but I think we don't avoid stress so much as just realising that we're going to be able to be ready for the next thing if we do get stressed or do respond in a way yeah. that is just very hard not to be triggered when you've got age-old story, lots of storyline, lots of old relationships, you know, and I'm sure there's a whole, that, that you know, there's a book on, 
all the triggers that happen based on smells and otherwise that go back to when we were children and there's a name for that I can't remember right now, but hard for us to actually sort of break the little link to all of those when you're sitting there with a parent <laughs> having a conversation that gets to a place that gives you all this subconscious memory. Mm. And you're going to turn around and respond in a way that just um, is age-old patterns. Yeah. But you're going to find that three hours later you've forgotten about it. Mm. Whereas previously it may have taken you a day and you would have been sitting there sort of, you know, feeling resentful. Yeah. So you're right. We do. But just the fact that we can actually say to ourselves midway through Walking Dead, this is not great for me, Mm. is really very you know, is a whole different level to just sitting there and finishing the entire show over 10 days and feeling not great yeah. and having no idea why you don't feel very good. Yeah, that's There's so There's a real true. difference. Yeah. Going, this is not great for me. Oh, okay, I've realised that. I'll finish it. Or yeah. this is not great. I'm going to stop. Yeah. I'll stop watching it because that's a big difference. Yeah. Big I think difference. that that consciousness that comes from from meditation and that ability to step back, that allows us to be intentional about the actions and like you said you can choose to keep watching the walking dead which i've done yes and or you can choose to to step away well it's self-referral and self-referral is really where we get to you know if we're sitting there and we're having engagement to things and we've got the wherewithal to say oh hang on what's going on here you're just referring on your state of consciousness and that's what that that's when we see people's behavior and as opposed to saying that person's behaving that sort of way we'll say oh that person's behaving that way i don't like it wow I'm responding to something that is triggering me. That's just a self-referring. This whole thing is self-referring. And if we are further, further enough back on that, then we're going to be able to ask those questions and reflect on that and go, oh, isn't that interesting? I kind of liked it, but I know it's not that good for me. Why is that? And, it's just, and, and that becomes this whole process um, as opposed to almost identifying it and get lost, in the, get lost in the vortex and then it has a serious impact on your nervous system. Yeah. Because it's... I would call it somewhat low-grade entertainment. <laughs> anyway, we can move on from that. But it's an interesting. It's an interesting. Some people will choose to engage with things which it's like a little heroin drip, whether it's content or whether it's relationships or whether it's anger, whatever it might be. The trigger that that keeps in our nervous system become and and we don't and we actually consciously don't know how to turn it off. It just keeps coming. You keep mm. getting angry about something. You get a bee in your bonnet. And it drives you crazy and you're so in that front row of your conscious cinema, you don't even realise that there's another place to be which would be able to snap that because you kind of get addicted to it. So that's where people do get into that binge mentality of all sorts of things, whether it's watching something or behaving in a certain way. If you're, if you're, if you're able to then reflect and be objective about that, then at least you can have the conversation with yourself. Yeah. That's, a, that, that's a big journey back from... Yeah. And I keep bringing up that that sort of that cinema analogy. Um, yes. Yeah. So, with this kind of awareness that you now have, um, and being able to do all this and step back and do all the things we've just been talking about, how has that had an effect and changed how you are a leader? You you know you've been in business for a long time and you've kind of gone through a, a real transition. How has how has that changed, and how has it helped as as a leader of an organisation? It's a um, as I self refer, I feel that I've been somewhat challenged actually by um, by somewhat having moved from a from a different way to do things, 
which was very which was commercial which is commercially driven what I'd call wrap a drain pipe stress based and then to do the 180 then to be involved with an organisation with Christopher which is doing what it's doing and I'm actually probably still getting used to the idea that I can engage in certain parts of that let's call it a company but let's call it a conscious entity yep because I really you know we're both somewhat challenged by the commercial versus the conscious but mm. you know when you've got lots of people who you employ and those types of things there's got to be a commercial reality to it and so it's interesting I'm I haven't yet actually found my comfort zone around that if that makes sense mm. because there's I've sort of on some days I have to kind of put the old I find myself putting the old suit on to go and ha- to go and negotiate a contract or whatever it might be so I'm like oh, okay this was the old way of doing things but yet I'm doing it from a different you know a different part on the I'm sitting in a different seat in the sushi train. Okay, yeah. I have to remind myself of that. <laughs> I've got to remind myself of that to borrow an analogy from someone. So it's a really good question. I don't quite have the answer to that, but I'm finding myself, I'm getting more comfortable with the idea that I can do both. Um, and if anything, it's about deciding to have more of a voice, actually, particularly with the sort of platform that we've got. And I've been really quite hesitant to even be somewhat using Insight Timer, for instance, to actually, you know, publish and otherwise because um, I'm taking sort of quite gentle steps into that space. So it's a really good question. I don't have the answer, but I feel over the next 12 months that I'm going to have more confidence in that space and probably stick my, you know, be a bit more bit more vocal or otherwise about um, kind of what's needed and what might be possible. But, for instance, for the last couple of years I've been actually pretty quiet mm. pretty quiet and I think that's been a reflection of the th- of the things that have been changing in my life which have been of a deeply personal nature and so for those reasons I think when you're just trying to work something through you a you only have energy for certain things when you've got responsibilities like children that's where a lot of your effort will go mm. um, and you need to attend to that and trust that um, that's where that's where we should put our time in and that there'll be time for other things later. And it's interesting just that we're doing this in the new year and just as I even, just the idea that we're even doing this interview together. Um, I'm not sure I would have even really been able to, it's interesting that it's taken us a while to get together, but I'm not so sure I would have even been in the mind space anywhere in the last two years to do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's interesting timing. But coming back to it, I think... um, when we, when, when, when we're really the question you're asking, to me, the way that I somewhat, somewhat interpret your question is, or at least the way that I'd like to answer it is, you know, when do we trust ourselves to have a view or an idea about things that we're confident communicating? And, um, and that, 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 and that people will, can, will, will listen and say, oh, that's interesting. That's a point of view that, you know, you're communicating something. I can relate to that. And I think, you know, just as you are, you're deciding to, you know, you've just started to become a Vedic meditation teacher, you're doing a podcast, you're putting your voice out there and it comes with an element of, okay, well, I'd like some people to listen. And <laughs> hopefully. It, no, hopefully. <laughs> no, but it's true. And I think that's what's required. I think really what we now need to do, and it's some of what Christian and I have done with Insight, is give people a voice. Mm. Um, 
it's more than ever people need to tell their stories because people need to relate to those stories. And the other side to it comes back to this kind of nihilistic, apathetic view of the world is like, I don't have a story. People don't, people won't listen. No one's going to care. And, and by the way, it's all too hard anyway. That's what's, that's, that's a lot of what's happening at the moment. And have you got the polar opposite of I'm going to put whatever the hell I'm doing out there and it's going to be a story with yes. the likes of, you know, Instagram. <laughs> Correct. That's exactly right. And there's beauty in that as that's well true. as. That's true. And that is maybe sort of, you know, you've got the nihilistic and the narcissistic yeah. or whatever it might be. I mean, this conversation going forever. Yeah. <laughs> so put to the right use. Yes, okay, we can talk about social media, but it's more about people going, okay, Will I take responsibility for my story and will then I tell that story so other people might be able to be motivated or incentivized by that to go and do to go and do what needs to be done? Because we are not going to be able to turn around and look at others to change what has to be changed, which feels like everything these days. And so I think coming back to it, it's like we have to surrender a great preference and get over our little ego-driven self to say, I'm not really sure whether I've got a story to tell, but I'm going to try and at least put it out there anyway. And and if that means that um, some people are motivated to do the same thing, then that's got to be good. But I, I don't know, I find it quite challenging at times. Yeah. Um, yes, I do. Yeah. I do. I love what you just said. You can't look to others to change what needs to be changed. Yeah. So what is it that you're trying to change that you're not looking to others to change? And it might be, yeah. personally, it might be with Insight Timer. Yes. Cho- choose how you want to answer that. Well, I think I'm, I've become, I think because um, I probably reflect on the idea that at the start of this year I have three, I now have essentially three platforms. Let's, let's call it three avenues to do things. Yeah. I can teach people to meditate, which is, which is a wonderful passion. I can take people to places to have huge experiences, which is via travel and retreats and purpose. And then there's a platform for thousands of teachers to get a voice out. So um, I in terms of where I'm at, I feel very fortunate to be able to invest time in each of those and I'm excited by what that means for the next, um, you know, for the next, you know, going into the future. Um, and, I'm, and, I'm luck- and I feel fortunate to be able to actually generally get involved in each of those and obviously, you know, um, and so to your question, I think... Um, I think, we, you know, the incredible time that we're here now is that it, it doesn't matter who you are. If you choose that you'd like to connect with people, you can do it without having to go through age-old channels of publishing or communication or otherwise. And if I can just sort of give you an example, when we decided to buy Insight Time, we always felt that we could give anybody the opportunity to relate to whether it's 5, 10, 50, 100, 10,000 people through whatever it is that they believe has helped them change. Okay, as opposed to having to be an old school publisher to have sold 5 million books and to have a whole bunch of podcasts and be 65 years old, that's the only way that you could become a meditation teacher. We're like, hang on a second. If there's someone who connects with people and 100,000 people want to listen to the way that they see the world, then surely we should be able to give them that, give them that channel. And that's what we've done. Um, 
and not and, and I think to some degree there's been you, you could argue that there are certain parts of that meditation space who frown on that a little bit. It's like, well, hang on, how can you be 30 years old and have 250,000 people having downloaded your guided meditation and comment all day that it's changed their life? It's, hang on, what do you know, right? Surely you've got to have done this for 30, 30, 40 years. So it's kind of dismantling that. And Mm. it's not just in meditation. We're seeing that everywhere. And, of course, you can have 120 million followers on Instagram and fly around in private jets and drink out of plastic bottles and sell billion dollars worth of cosmetics that's that's happening and that is that is that exists because of the broad different variety that humanity kind of is experiencing from a conscious perspective okay instagram wouldn't exist in terms of that narcissistic part of it if people weren't fundamentally there to lap it up Mm. it doesn't exist because kevin seisher and those guys founded it it. If we weren't there to just lap it up and go and put our photos up and take selfies till we were blue in the face, <laughs> the company would never have happened. Yeah. So too would Fox News not be sitting there blurting all this sort of stuff out and Rupert Murdoch being worth a fortune if we weren't there to lap it up, okay? Um, and, and, and so we have to recognise that these things are all taking place not just because, and Donald Trump may, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be the leader of, of, you know, of let's call it the free world, <laughs> um, if we weren't there to kind of just, you know, gravitate to it. And so, and by the way, those things are all, they're the bright, shiny objects. They're, you know, they're the ones that get all the attention, but, 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 because that's the noisy part of it. But in actual fact, what's happening also is this, is this more high grade conscious component, which is people choosing to Download meditations, apps, Headspace, Calm Insight Timer. You know, there's an extraordinary explosion of yoga and otherwise. I mean, people wanting to not just go away on holiday; they want to go away on trips and you know and experience things and and, and have purpose and come back feeling refreshed, not just because they went and sat on a beach. There's so much going on, but we're not really. It, it, it's still reasonably niche. It's it is moving more mainstream, and we can see that. We now see meditation articles in every single newspaper. Mm. And I'm getting a, like I know I'm sort of going in a circuitous area here, but I think coming back to what your question was is that people have to take responsibility for deciding to live a certain way, and if they live a certain way, they got to be they they have to turn around and not shy away from what they've chosen to be or do or how they want to live. Because other people need to turn around and go, that person's moved, I can move with them. Because if they don't, other people may not have the confidence to do so. And that's got to happen on an individual basis really, really quickly. <laughs> Otherwise, I think we're going to see some really significant change in humanity that, that is going to be challenging. And we're seeing it in politics, we're seeing it in Australian politics, we've got independents running again against you know, conservative liberals. I mean, it's great, there's some amazing things going on, but it's got to keep happening. And so I think when I think about it, I sit with people a lot and say, okay, make the move, run and jump, be brave, be bold. And so if I'm not doing the same thing, then I'm, 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 um, I'm somewhat of a um, bit of an imposter. Mm. Got to practice what you Got preach. Got to practice don't what you, you preach. Mm. And um, that. So you, you, you step into those spaces, you make that change. It's not very pretty. You know, there's no manual. No. 
love to do it this way and otherwise and with a bit more this and a bit more grace and not kind of clunk through it. But that's, I think, coming back to it and as, as you know, what you've chosen to do is teach people to meditate and so you're going to have to be an example of that. And people will come to you and say, here's what's going on and, you'll, and, and you know, you'll be able to spend time with them. You'll say, have you thought about it this way and thought about it that way? And inevitably, if they're thinking about it in another way, it may just, they may need to make a move or have a conversation or express themselves in a certain way. And you'll be sitting there thinking, oh, that's interesting. I should do that too. And so if we're and, – and, and to a person, I think if people are going to turn around and ask something of others, they have got to turn around and demand it of themselves. Yeah, that's and so I think that somewhat defines a whole bunch of things that would be going on for me right now if I could encapsulate some of your questions. But No, that's great. I love it. And mm-hmm. I think you've probably answered many times the question that I'm about to ask. But right. if I'm going to ask the question and, and yes. to see if you've got anything else to add. So this podcast is called Leading Beings. What does it mean to you to be a leading being? And I think I've been avoiding that because you have to own the idea that you may be a leading being, okay? And I find that a hard, to me, I find that a difficult thing to say. What it means for me to be a leading being is this, okay? Um, I would like to, maybe I could summarise say, I'm trying to do my best to, um, to bring forward the qualities of myself that I think are good and then we all have the qualities of ourselves that we'd love to work on. Um, I think what we are all challenged by is thinking that there may be a, a way to be that is um, so full of love and energy and creativity that we're somewhat we somewhat get, um, I wouldn't say we're scared of it, but the idea that we might turn around and just go into the world in that way, I think it can be somewhat challenging to believe that we may actually be, and by the way, every single person on the planet is exactly that, can, 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 is an exact expression of that um, part of themselves, no question. Um, but to turn around and, and just sort of explode all of the limitations that have been put onto us by what our peer group might think or what our family might think and all that, you turn around and go, okay, this is, this is, because by the way, we can all turn around and reflect on that and feel those parts of ourselves. We really can. But it's somewhat easier to sort of get up in the morning and go, oh, lacking a bit of energy today. And it's easy to maybe default to things that aren't, that, 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 that could be more positive. So, what does it mean to, to make our best efforts to be a leading being? I think it's to somehow turn around and because um, I think you can, ex- you can intellectually um, decide how you want to be but then you need to really turn around and work at your nervous system which is going to support the intellectual idea of that. Does that make sense? Mm. You can turn around and decide right now that I am the happiest, most loving person on the planet but then you turn around and you've got a nervous system that kind of says, I know you might think that, but this is the way you're going to feel, <laughs> right? This is the way you're going to feel tomorrow morning, you know, at 7 o'clock, you know, when you've done this and you've done that and you've read the news and, you've, you know, and this has happened and whatever it might be. So I'm going to really challenge your intellect with your body, your feeling. And by the way, that body has had thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of experiences to somewhat 
hold you back from sort of blowing that, just exploding that idea that we're not mm. really loving, happy, creative, compassionate, empathetic, God-given human beings because that's what it all comes down to. And so there's a, there's a, collective, there's a collective ignorance about what our true potential is. And so what does it mean to try and be a leading being? It's to say somehow I will work at, I will continue to work at, 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 at supporting the intellectual idea that I can be, that I can, that I can explore my potential and, and take that to the people that I, that I come across. And that is hard, hard work, you know, um, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance, you know, those types of things. We have to turn around and do the work um, for, that to, for that to come about. Um, and it's challenging. Mm. It's, it's, it can be somewhat scary because you, you have to make a lot of change. So we need to, you know, we need to cultivate fearlessness, Right? You know, be fearless about that journey, um, and it's and, and I keep coming back to it. We can decide to do it, but then we have this. You know, there is so much that will you know will hold us back. So we need to work at that to sort of just break break the shackles. And those shackles are passed generation to generation. There's a whole bunch of things that go on there. And so you know, we're talking about behaviours and expectations, and you know what our parents have decided we should have been and. Those sorts of things. So, you know, you turn around and move through those shifts, then, of course, you're going to have to bring, you know, there's a whole group of change that comes with it on every level, all the relationships. Um, I can't believe this is going to be published. Um, <laughs> I think it's great. Um, Everyone's going to love it. Um, so, you, so um, it's tough. It's, it's hard. It's hard. But that's what's, now that's what's going to happen. And I can hear myself talking about it. But then I'm thinking, okay, but tomorrow morning you've got to get up and deliver on what you're talking about here, right? And what's that going to be? It's going to be up in the morning, do my morning practice, meditate. You know, I've got like I'll have an, a, a fantastic morning tomorrow morning teaching people to meditate. Um, and then I'll go and, you know, and then I'll do the things that I need to physically do to feel good, to change my physiology, to get my body with endorphins and those things moving, which makes me feel good, um, and to eat well and to just and stick at it and then go the next day and go the next day. And, of course, the question is, well, hang on, that sounds like you spend a lot of time doing those things for yourself, but it's, of course, you're only going to do those so you can make yourself more available to others. Um, we have to take responsibility for our conscious state. We have to take responsibility for our health. We have, um, particularly as generations come, we have got to be proactive about how to look after ourselves. We're living for longer. We've got, you know, we've got creaking health systems all over the world. You know, we all really need to take this take responsibility um and i'd like to think that i get to an age where my daughters are not saying oh dad's fallen apart at the age of 65 <laughs> i was there i had to spend two years looking after a man who had just basically you know destroyed his health and it was hugely taxing and hugely you know there's a whole bunch of you know there's so much cost that comes to that and of course you're never going to grudge someone but you know that in some ways um do you know? Do the work now to ensure that you are able to actually be less of a burden on family and society going forward. I mean, we're throwing lots of ideas around here, but 
But coming back to now, um, we all have to take responsibility for our experience. And the great challenge is that the is that the normative the the enormity of what's going on that is just flooded through the media at the moment has led people to become essentially apathetic about their ability to make an impact or help or change. Mm. That's what's going on. We are, we are at a point where it's like there's not much we can do about climate change or there's not much we can do about what's going on, you know, at the, at the level of society and politics. And it's, it's, it, it is absolutely not true. But yeah. I tell you what, it's really hard to get up and go, right, Let's do something. But it's not going to happen if people don't wake up. Yeah. It's not happening. I like what you said about kind of the responsibility. I think responsibility is one of those words that often when you hear it, you go, ooh, I don't don't want responsibility because, you know, you can remember your mum and your head going, take some responsibility or something like that. that's right. It's a trigger. I love um, Fred Kaufman who wrote Conscious Business, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, so for anyone who's heard it before, sorry. (laughs) But he talks about responsibility um, being our ability to respond. And I love how that kind of reframes the idea of responsibility and it kind of is like, well, actually it's, mm. it's an empowering thing. Like you have the ability yep. to respond in a certain way and Absolutely. to a certain extent it's your choice Absolutely. how you do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. No, and um, we all want to put our best foot forward and we want to communicate in a way that is all positive and I can sit here and reflect on the way that I'm talking to you and there's just ten things that I want to do better, you know, as a father as a teacher, as um, in terms of there's just like I'm sitting here just saying, okay, well, I'm, you know, we're talking about this and it sounds great, but of course it's like, okay, let's self-refer on those sorts of things. If you're going to talk about this and have a conversation with Kate and whatever it might be, then, you know, make sure that you back it up and it's good. It's really good because as you, when you turn around and put this stuff out there, well, then you better turn around and live that way. Um, and... Now more than ever, that's what we have to do. There's so much out there that is just people saying things for you know for people's sake, but it's got to be backed up. Um, so I thank you for this opportunity because um, it motivates me. You're welcome. It motivates me <laughs> to start tomorrow on the front foot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And look at it. Same goes. Like I think it's it's always nice to be reflected back to you. You know, when you're doing this kind of work and you're you're in this space, you, a lot of the time you can get caught up in in all the things that you're doing. But yeah, taking that moment to go, wait, am I actually living in alignment with what what I'm putting out there? I think yeah. it's yeah, it's always a great anytime you can have that that moment of pause to reflect on that is yes. is a good one. I think so. So yes. thank you too because you're also making me reflect as well. My pleasure, my pleasure. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we can sit there and talk about it and we can tell people how to be, but only you can judge how you are when you're on your own Yeah. <laughs> and sitting there and about to put something on the television, which you know is probably not that good for you, and there's no one else around to say, that's not a good idea, like, oh, okay, who's, who's, who's watching? Well, we are and that should be enough to motivate us. Yeah, and I, and I think it's funny because we, we were to, you talked about expectations earlier and we do talk about the expectations that, that other people or society or whatever it might be kind of put on us. But at the end of the day, like with a lot of my coaching clients, I find that the, the expectations that actually mean the most are the ones that we place upon ourselves. Of course. But they're also the ones that are the most terrifying. Of course, of course. Well, you know, we should all demand if we're going to expect 
all parts of society to elevate and to um, if we're you know if we're going to expect that change to happen as rapidly as possible, then we'd better you know we'd better be proponents of that. Otherwise, it just won't happen. So yeah, the bucks um, the buck kind of the buck stops and starts with us. Um, and back to you know what you're seeking to do by you know by um, creating this podcast around leading beings. That's what it is. You just have to start. You have to you have to lead. You have to lead. Um, you, you just have to be reflective of the things that you might, you know, have the opportunity to work with others for them to turn around and change. And so if you're not doing it yourself, then then um, yeah, you're not making the sort of contribution that I guess you've signed up for. Mm. Yes. Nico, um, I think... So lots of work to be done. <laughs> always, always. Um, it's never ending, but no. it's a beautiful journey. So. Progress made, work still to be done. Um, Nico, thank you so much. This thank has been you, wonderful. Um, so glad we finally got around to it. Yep. And um, I look forward to seeing you on Insight Timer because I do often kind of see you there on, on the app away. and Good. meditating away. And uh, for those who don't know Insight Timer, you can kind of see other people meditating and you get to kind of reach out to people and say thank you for meditating with me. And it's just it's beautiful because it brings uh, – a sense of community to I think sometimes that can often be seen as quite a lonely pursuit you know sitting in your room and meditating on your own so and you know it's it's obviously providing an amazing platform for a lot of people to to share beautiful wisdom and knowledge and um and help a lot of other people along the way so thank you for for providing that I know I enjoy using it very much and know a lot of friends that have got a lot out of it um I think there's something on there for everyone no matter what you're into so um yeah check it out if you haven't already insight timer and um yeah and nico do you want to give us a plug for your website or oh no i think this has been a wonderful, <laughs> been a wonderful opportunity to talk about all the different things but i think um no it's fine this has been this has been this has been really nice thank you um and um yeah i look forward to hearing that and we should publish the, we should publish this on insight time Awesome, let's do it. <laughs> Good. All right, thanks, thanks a lot, Nick. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the episode today. I'm so grateful that you took the time to have a listen. I hope you really enjoyed it and got something valuable out of it as well. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you would leave us a review on iTunes, if that's how you're listening. It always helps us get the word out about the podcast and helps it get into more people's ears. Also, always love meeting people who are listening and hearing what you're getting out of the podcast. So come and say hello on Instagram, LinkedIn, send me an email. I'd absolutely love to meet you online and hear how you are being and becoming a leading being.